Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. It's a blessing, Mike. I mean, we love, you know, we love having first-round picks. We love having the early second, but we also love having a franchise quarterback that sets the tone every day in the building. Um, I come in here, he's here working. There's a reason he's great. It's because the work he puts into it, and all the players, the entire organization are watching. And so there's no pain in that. And that first day, we'll watch Russell Wilson highlights. It's like it's like the moment of winning the game, really. You know, it's that moment that you just you know you just accomplish something really special. But and we know on the other end of that phone call is what, as soon as we hang up, they're going crazy and all that. So it's it's a it's a really really wonderful moment. Get our guys, whether they're the free agents or part of a trade or part of the draft, we're looking for where we think they can we can take them. You know, and so we might not be exactly the same as they're viewed by others. That's John. What are you doing? Nothing. Nothing. No. Don't worry about it. How do you do, fellow kids? I don't know what Tom Brady was trying to prove there. I want to know who came into the room. Was it Tom Sr.? Was it Bruce Arians? Was it Bill Belichick? That's the untold mystery, Miles Simmons, on that Tom Brady TikTok. Could be his kid. I mean, maybe the voice is a little too deep, but I feel like that's who it should be. Like, Dad, look, what what is this? What are you trying to do? You're in your mid-40s. Like, stop. It really did have, and I mentioned this on the text chain, an Evan Breen vibe from his old Vines. And my son and I used to watch the Evan Breen Vines over and over and over again. R.I.P. Vine. Why'd they ever get rid of mm-hmm. Vine? Did they just have no way to monetize it? If that was the case, they should get rid of Twitter, too. How do they monetize that? How do they monetize any of this stuff other than harvesting our personal information and selling it to others? Other than that, how do they make any money? Well, that's part of how they make their money. Uh, it was it was there were a lot of things that happened with Vine. I don't know. I don't quite remember. But I did. I was I was big into Vine, you know, in the Vine heyday of like 2013 when I was still in college. Yeah, 2013 when I was still in my 40s. I remember those days very well, (laughs) although not as clearly as I used to. It's a Friday. It's another Friday closer to death. Yes, I said Mm -hmm. it. We're another Friday closer to the draft. It's coming up in just six days in Las Vegas. Stop it, Miles. At least pretend (laughs) to care. Well, you know what, Mike? Here's the thing. So by this time next week, we will have gone through the first round, and we will know definitively whether or not a team has picked a quarterback of the future. That's all you got. You had all day long. You had all day long to come up with some way to zing me, and that's all you got. That's fine. That's fine. I give it a C plus. C plus. <laughs> I give it a C plus. That's a reference to the movie A Christmas Story, another film from the eighties, which I doubt you've ever seen. I don't think it was actually a reference to a movie, you know, that maybe people know about your Playmakers book, but people should also know that you are a published author from before, you know. It's okay, not just the pro football Let's talk. just let it go. Let's let it go okay, and let's yeah, move on. Let's move yeah. on or move out. Let's move on or move out. Uh, That's all right. 
All right. You want to talk about Topic. people more quarterbacks of the future? I mean, because, you Topic. know, if we start with Tom Brady, they Topic need a quarterback one. of the future in Tampa Bay. Topic one, Johnny Vine, Johnny TikTok, <laughs> Tom Brady. Now, look, we've been kind of wondering whether or not there would be some sort of a new contract between Brady and the Buccaneers. Jason Light, the GM of the team, has been trying to avoid that topic as best he can. We learned today that there is a new contract for Tom Brady, but here's the key. It is a simple restructuring, easy for him to say, restructuring to create some cap space, but no new years for Tom Brady. That's significant. He's a free agent next year. There is a no tag clause in his prior contract. I assume that that is carried over into this contract, so they can't use the franchise tag to keep him in place. He goes wherever he wants in 2023, and we'll see what he wants to do. Number one, does he want to play? Number two, does he want to play for the Buccaneers? Number three, if not, who does he want to play for? And it's definitely something to pay attention to because something definitely was going on with Brady and the Miami Dolphins earlier this year before the Brian Flores lawsuit, before he had no other options, and before he realized, hey, if I don't go back now, they're going to move on at the quarterback position, and I may be SOL because if they refuse to trade me, they squat on my rights, what am I going to do? Unretire when they already have gotten Deshaun Watson or Baker Mayfield or whoever and create chaos. So he came back when he had to once he knew he had no way out. Bottom line is, next year, He's got a way out, and that's going to be one of the big stories of the offseason. Three years after Tom Brady leaving the Patriots with his biggest story of the offseason, it's going to be the biggest story of the next offseason. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I, I think that when we think about this, like in Tom Brady, like he's going to be 45. And I, I hesitate to sort of say this because, like, uh, it seems like Tom Brady is invincible at this point. And, you know, there's good reason to think this, right? At the age of 44, he just led the league in passing yards and touchdowns and attempts and completions and all that. And I understand that. But, like, we're talking about a potentially 46-year-old quarterback going to Miami and replacing Tua Tungabailoa, which, like, is a little bit ludicrous. And I know that it's Tom Brady. And so, but it, on paper, it's just like I was thinking about this as we were, as I was starting to prep for the show. It's kind of ludicrous to think that Tom Brady, at 46 years old, is going to be able to do that. And it's not because it's Tom Brady, right? And he's the greatest right. of all time, and I understand that. You're chasing, so, you're like, chasing your not, tail on this. No, I know, but, but but like, but, but like, what? It, when it ends, it ends quickly, right? It ended so quickly with Far. Because what, do we really think that it was going to end that quickly in 2010 with him? No. It ended really quickly with Peyton Manning. I don't think after 14, we thought in 2015, oh my gosh, he's going to fall off the cliff. So maybe this is the year that Brady falls off the cliff. Do I think that? No. But like, I don't think we should just dismiss that entirely at this point. Well, but we've been waiting for that for eight years. I agree with I you. And I used to think that way. But And what, what you said makes sense. It's ludicrous to think he could play for anyone at age 46. It's ludicrous to think he could play for anyone at age 45. It's ludicrous to think he could throw for 5,000 yards at age 44. Everything this guy's done since Super Bowl 53 falls into the category of ludicrous. You could argue that everything he did since 28-3 to in Super Bowl 51 is mind-blowing. And as I've said before, if this guy did a deal with the devil, and I— kind of came to that conclusion 15 years ago he did one hell of a deal he drove a hard price for his soul because this guy keeps reaping benefits years after the fact it is amazing but the guy here's the key and sim says this all the time he's going to have his arm into his 50s 
And I had someone tell me five years ago, watch his legs. As long as he can get away from taking hits, then he can keep going. Because once he starts getting hit, eventually he gets hurt. Eventually he can't get away from more hits. And eventually he's done. But he's perfected the craft of knowing when he gets the ball. And I'm amazed he held on to it that long on that play. And you saw what happened. He got hit from behind. Usually the ball is out. He knows where it's going, and he avoids taking these kind of hits. And even when he gets hit, like, I, I don't know whether it's a courtesy, like helping the old man across the street, but he's not getting hit all that hard. You don't get, you don't see him get blown up very often, do you? No, but like, I mean, it's like you said, he knows when to get rid of it. I mean, he's been playing this game to, you know, for almost as long as I've been alive, it feels like, right? I mean, since the beginning of my football consciousness, at least, right? So I... You, he knows exactly what it is to do. There's nobody in the league that's seen as much football or played as much football as this guy in the league right now. So I, I still think he's a top five quarterback. And I say that after all the things that I just said, you know, when we started the show, but I, I just, it on paper, it just does not really make sense that we can really kind of believe that he will play well enough this year that he'll still have enough to not just go somewhere and be an owner, but then come down from the top and be like, yeah, I, I can still play. I can still do this and replace somebody who was picked in the first round a couple of years ago. Like that's, it's ridiculous, but it's believable because it's him. So yeah, I just, I don't know. Like it, it's still, it, the whole thing's a little mind blowing to me. And, and we'll see where he will end up next year. It may not be Miami. It may be somewhere else that we're not thinking of, a team that otherwise has everything in place and would very much like to fill up its stadium. I mean, that was the key for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I know in 2020 yes. they weren't able to fill up their stadium because of the pandemic, but they made a ton of money off of him last year. They did that grift this year. And I'm, I'm sorry, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for Ooh. calling it what it is, where they made people buy, new season ticket holders buy for two seasons. They say they're trying to protect the – they they know that they can get people to buy for two seasons because they want one season with Tom Brady, even if it means they're going to have a second season with Blaine Gabbert or Kyle Trask. They're willing to do that to get the one season of home games with Tom Brady. So there could be a team next year that is just looking at it like a business. Remember, they all say they want to win the Super Bowl every year. We all know that what they want to do is make as much money as they can, and one way to make the money is to fill the stadium. And if you can get Tom Brady, if you're a team that is traditionally – not in a full stadium. And look at the Dolphins. Look at the Dolphins. Look, look how quickly that stadium empties out any given year when the Dolphins struggle. If they could get him and they have the other pieces around, now a lot of it hinges on whether or not Tua Tonga-Vailoa plays really well this year. He may play so well that that door is closed. But there will be another door open somewhere. Out of 32 teams, there will be someone that you can look at next year and say they've got everything they need but a quarterback. And – you add Tom Brady, you roll the dice for a year. I mean, the Steelers did one more year with Ben Roethlisberger, and he's way more broken down in 2021 than Tom Brady is now or will be next year because what Roethlisberger relied upon when he was great, Tom Brady's never relied on. This isn't some dramatic change to his game that he lacks mobility. He's never had it. So it makes it easier for him to kind of gradually land the plane in retirement. So, I look – and this is probably the year he falls off the cliff. The year that I stop saying, hey, we got to be ready for him to fall off the cliff is the year he's going to fall off the cliff. So that's probably oh, what's going to happen. Yes, but, of course. But, yeah. And the other side of it, too, is it's not just necessarily going to happen in the offseason where he shows up 
in July and says, man, I'm too old for this crap. It could happen at some point during the season. We could see it play out during a 17-game regular season or postseason where all of a sudden he's Willie Mays in his twilight years. Well, but that, that's what I mean with Peyton Manning. I mean, there were maybe a couple of signs of it toward the end of that 2014 season where it was like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on with Peyton Manning now? Is he still the same guy? I mean, the Rams, who were not a very good team in 2014, kind of like broke him. They beat the Broncos, I don't know, something like 22 to 10. I don't know. It was my first year covering the Rams, so I remember that game pretty vividly. But like, I just remember Peyton Manning not looking like Peyton Manning we had seen in Denver to that point. And so it's just one of those things where like we're going to know when Tom Brady is not the same guy. And just to this point, the only time he's really kind of looked like that was in 2019 with the Patriots. But I think now we all have realized that that was more of a Patriots thing than it was a Tom Brady thing, right? I mean, the, the Patriots in the last couple of years, they've gone, you know, a little bit like this up and down, and they seem to be on the right trajectory now with Mac Jones behind center. But like it, the Patriots in 2020 were not great. And that was part of the product of not being great in 2019. So I don't really know what Brady's going to do, but I just know that like, there are two things undefeated in this world, and one of them is Father Time. And so at some point, Father Time's going to come for Tom Brady. And I don't know when it is, but it could be this year. I remember sitting in this chair and saying that five years ago, that Father Time eventually wins. He eventually is going to whack Tom Brady across the head with either the big hourglass or whatever other implement Father Time has. I know he doesn't have the scythe. That's the Grim Reaper. But Father Time like has a walking stick and an hourglass. Maybe he'll do the one-two punch on Tom Brady, but he's eventually going to win. It's just amazing to see Tom Brady hold him off as long as he has. And I think the longer he holds him off, the more motivated he is to keep going. It's like Thelma and Louise. Not for Thelma and Louise. It's like the Seinfeld episode where they do the Thelma and Louise thing where they're running on empty. It's the Thelma and Louise reference, but you haven't seen Thelma and Louise or Seinfeld, so yet again, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but he's running that car on empty as far as he can. And the farther you go, the farther you want to go. All right. So enough about Tom Brady until Monday or maybe later this show. Who knows? Maybe he'll drop another TikTok that we have to play between now and the end of the program. But we're already on notice. He's a big story next offseason. And there's always going into an offseason the stories we expect and the stories we don't. This year we expected Russell Wilson to be a story. We expected Aaron Rodgers to be a story. We didn't expect Tyreek Hill to be a story. We didn't expect Debo Samuel to be a story. It continues to percolate. Now, we played yesterday comments from Joe Douglas, the Jets general manager, who was very careful to tiptoe around the whole tampering thing and not really say anything that could get him in trouble. Let's hear whether or not Stephen Jones, Cowboys executive, exercised similar precautions when he was asked today on 105.3 The Fan about potentially trading for Debo Samuel. Well, we're always looking to, uh, to get better. Uh, and, uh, yeah, obviously keep your eye on anything and everything that's going on. And uh, certainly uh, things have to, have to fit in and work. But uh, we're always, uh, you know, looking at where we are from a personnel standpoint, where we can get better. I didn't hear any of that. I hope you did, Miles. I have no idea what I he didn't. said. Yeah, uh, the only thing Hopefully. I know is what's on the rundown, which is you keep your eye on anything, which I mean, I, I yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Stephen. Hopefully everyone out there heard it as well. But I saw the tweet earlier and 
he he didn't do the I can't talk about anyone who's under contract with another team, which needs to be your knee jerk reaction if you're an executive with anyone. What he said when he was asked about Debo Sam, you're always looking to get better. He didn't say I can't talk about somebody who's under contract with another team. Now, he didn't say we're interested, but the safest bet is to just say nothing. Now, I don't know that they can pull it off. I don't know that they could offer Debo Samuel enough money. They could have kept Mark Cooper for $20 million, which is looking like more and more of a bargain all the time when oh, you yeah. see what these other guys are getting via their trades and their new contracts. And Debo Samuel did indeed like an image of him in a Cowboys uniform before he unliked it. He's been doing a lot of Stop and start on social media. He'll tweet something and then it disappears. He'll post something and then it's gone. He'll like something and then unlike it. He's got somebody, somebody speaking in his ear. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Just, just play it cool. If we want to get out of San Francisco, we got to be discreet here. But I don't know if the Cowboys can pull it off. It would be out of character for what they've done this offseason, Miles, because they haven't done much of anything. So if all of a sudden they turn around and they try to and they try to get Debo Samuel. I mean, I mean, if you guys are going to wake up now, where were you from January until now? Oh, but, I mean, it's not like that's a bad time to wake up, you know? It's like waking up right when the, you start smelling the bacon because somebody's cooking it in the kitchen. You're like, oh, wow, I guess breakfast is coming, right? Like, this, this is a great opportunity if they can pull off. But if I'm San Francisco, A, I'm not inclined to trade Debo Samuel. B, I'm, if I am going to do it, I'm not inclined to trade him within the conference. So... Maybe Debo Samuel certainly would like to go to uh, the Cowboys, and the Cowboys are smart to keep an eye on it. But, like, I don't know if that's a place where he's actually going to end up if he does, in fact, end up being traded from the 49ers. And, you know, the other side of it, too, is with the 49ers trading with the Cowboys, it's not like the Cowboys are the high end rival of the 49ers like they used to be. But I still would be very leery of placing him with a team where it's going to come back to haunt me at some point now definitely not in the division but other teams in the conference that i may come across on the path to the playoffs now with seven teams on the playoff tree i would be concerned about that and i still believe that the smart move for the 49ers if they are going to trade him keep your mouth shut work out your deal tell everyone involved say nothing and then when that first round pick is on the clock whenever it may be whenever it's falls in round one that's when you do the trade so you slide right into the spot because if you get in there too early then somebody has a chance to try to jump you they have a chance to guess what do they want can we get in front of them and and even if they guess wrong you just don't want them guessing you don't want to be in that predicament where you have to worry about getting leapfrogged by somebody else there are the odds again from points bet i still think the jets make a ton of sense because they were ready to make a move on tyree kill but a lot of it comes down to what debo samuel wants you know in this era of player empowerment not only are players able to get out of a situation they don't want to be in they're able to engineer their destination as well and it's kind of like a de facto no trade clause hey i'd like you to trade me okay we'll trade you there Nah, i don't want to go there try again okay how about there Nah, nah okay how about here okay fine there and and it's amazing What's happened? I was talking to Coach Dungy about it earlier today, and he you know, reminisced on a time when Mel Blunt was done with the Steelers, and he's not staying in no way, no how, and they offered him more money, and he stayed. But you didn't have the leverage. You didn't have the options. You didn't have a path out like you have now. And now that teams are letting guys leave, you know, it's hard to be an old school, you have a contract, and we're not doing anything with it team when all these other teams are giving in. I think it makes it yes. harder. 
to draw yes. a line in the sand if you're the San Francisco 49ers. Of course it does. Um, but, I mean, at the same time, it's like, I feel like I see both sides of this, and like I don't like coming down on the side of management, so I'm trying not to. Because I, I, I think the players should be empowered, right? I mean, I know how you feel about the draft, and I kind of feel the same way. Like, guys don't have the ability to choose where they go to work. They have the ability to choose where they go to school, you know, where they play in college. But then they get drafted into this league, and they have no say in it. I get to say where I work, you know, where, who I get to work with, whether or not I get to be with that's people some, I like and whatnot. Yeah, somehow uh, you ended up here. Yeah, exactly. But I like it here. I have a good time at work, Mike. I think this is a fun show to do. I enjoy it. You know, I think that there's all kinds of stuff like that. So the fact that they don't, and then when they get to be in a position where they can say, yeah, I want some control over my life, I think that's good. But at the same time, if I'm the 49ers and like the system is the way the system is, and I've drafted this guy who I think is great and I'm not inclined to trade, it's like, well, wait a minute, I, I don't want to do that. I don't need to give in to what you're saying, so I don't really want to. And if I'm the 49ers, of course I don't want to give in to a trade demand when I've got Trey Lance coming up, and I'm still not really sure exactly what he's going to be. Giving away your best offensive weapon for draft assets does not make you better. So that's where this is like, man, I don't, I don't really know what the solution is, but I hope that there is one that's amicable for all sides. First of all, as the owner of the PFT platform, I get a little nervous at the idea that I've hired an anti-management agitator, although I, I'm an, I'm an anti-management <laughs> you're, you're agitator that. too. What do you mean? I probably, yeah. I know, I probably shouldn't be that way. I'm a business owner. I should be, now when I get my super yacht, maybe I'll change my tune. Okay. Um, you know, remember last year when Aaron Rodgers was upset with the Packers, Miles, and we heard that Brian Gutekunst and Mark Murphy and Matt LaFleur had made multiple trips to California to go basically kiss the ring and the ass of Aaron Rodgers. If I'm Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, the moment that Debo Samuel asked me for a trade, I am on Jed York's private jet, and I am flying to wherever Debo is, and I am listening to anything he has to say, saying anything I have to say to get him to change his mind. And that's why the why as to why he, why he wants out is so critical because some things mm -hmm. they can fix. Some things, I was saying this earlier today, if you just don't want to be in California, I mean, unless they're going to move the team to Georgia this offseason, they can't <laughs> do anything about that. So right. it all comes down to why he wants out. And I've said all week it's a failure on the 49ers' part to even get to this point where he wants out. But, but man, at a minimum, you got to go work on this guy. This is your most important player right now. Other than Nick Bosa, I'd say Debo Samuel and Nick Bosa are like 1A and 1B, and you can make the argument for either one. you got to keep them both happy. you got to do everything you can to keep yeah. them happy. And I, I'd like to think the 49ers have spent – a lot of the last 48 hours doing what they have to do to try to talk Debo Samuel out of wanting out of San Francisco. Yeah. But I mean, you know, if he just doesn't want to live in California, like that's not really the 49ers fault. Like, I don't know how they're supposed to fix that. They're not going to relocate the team. That's just where they're located. And I mean, I don't know, it's a California resident. I really like it out here, but not everybody does. It's not for everybody. I understand. Frankly, it's I don't think the Bay everybody. area is for me. And I know the LA is not for you, Mike. So that's okay. Uh, but you said something interesting. You, okay. Uh, do we really think that Debo Samuel would fetch a first round pick? 
Because you said oh, if you're in the middle of the first round, you know, that's where you go on the – That's if, if the team's on the clock, that's where you make the trade. Are, are we sure that he would fetch a first-rounder? Especially because you've got to sign him to a contract too. Let's put a pin in that one. That's something we're going to talk about next segment. I can't act like that I knew that because I, I didn't. I was told that we're going to talk about it next uh, segment. I, uh, I like to be surprised by the topics, especially on a Friday <laughs> when I'm reminded it's another Friday closer to death. So we'll talk about that later on. For now, let's pivot to the team that has worked very hard to earn back-to-back number one overall picks. Last year, the Jaguars took Trevor Lawrence. This year, they sit in the top spot. And Trent Baalke, the general manager of the team who somehow survived the Urban Meyer upheaval, here he is talking about whether they have gotten any offers to give up that number one overall pick. Tell us how many players are truly under consideration at number one. Have four. you narrowed that down, down to four? Four. four. We've let people know, you know, over a month ago, I think we've talked about that. We've let people know we were open to discussions. You always are. You never say you're, you know, never. Uh, maybe last year when you're sitting there with the first pick and the quarterbacks there that you're going to, you know, that's not negotiable. But most of the time that is negotiable. So uh, we're, we're willing to listen. Uh, but to answer your question, no, nobody's called directly. I'm surprised they'd be that candid because if you got four guys that you would take, you can fall down as far as number four and still get one of those guys. And if you can create some uncertainty among the teams that hold number two, number three, and number four, that maybe they're going to get jumped for the guy they've decided they have to have. What does it hurt? I mean, I guess I, I respect the unexpected decision to tell the truth, but what does it hurt to create a little mystery there and say, yeah, we're getting some phone calls. We're getting some interest. Why, why not? Or just why not find, even if you're not an, it's an outright lie. There's a way to stick handle your way through that question without saying, nope, phone hasn't rung a single time. Nobody wants it. I, I just don't know that strategically that helps the Jaguars to be so transparent about the fact that nobody wants the first overall pick because there's a way to still work this out to get extra picks and still get one of your final four guys. Unless the four players was a lie and like they really know True. who they're going to pick. Because I just, I tend to think that most teams, especially if you're picking in like the top three and you, you, you have a really, really, really good idea of who you're picking. I, it, you know, the whole thing, I, I went through this in 2016 when the Rams were going to select Jared Goff and they ended up doing that, right? They traded up and they said, oh yeah, we, uh, we're, we're going between the two guys. And then even we as the in-house media team, like they brought in Jared Goff and, uh, Carson Wentz for top 30 visits and we did videos with both guys and we're trying to drum up the interest. You can't tell me they didn't know that they were going to get Jared Goff when they made the trade. So I just tend to think that every time a team has the number one overall pick, if we're at April 22nd and they're drafting, you know, less than a week from now, they know exactly who they're going to pick and they might've known for a really long time, like last year too. I don't know that there was much uncertainty or much mystery. I can't quite remember because things fall out of my head, especially as they relate to the draft. But everybody had known that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the number one overall pick since he was, what, a true freshman, and he started leading Clemson to all those wins. So I I don't know. I just – everybody knew that Kyler Murray was going to be a number one overall pick and all these different things. Joe Burrow was going to be that too. You know who you're getting if you have the top overall pick. 
And unless you actually do want to drum up some interest because there's no clear cut guy, right? That you have not fallen in love with. And that's the way that this is going to work. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, this seems like a year where there's not necessarily the type of player that you do fall in love with if you have the number one overall pick. Right? I mean, like, you know, there's Aiden Hutchinson, there's Walker, there's Thibodeau, there's there's all, all kinds of players that seem to be just kind of clustered together as opposed to those one or two blue chip guys. So maybe that's why this could be a little bit different. But I just tend to think if you're the Jaguars, you've got somebody that you love. It doesn't matter what other people are going to say or do or whatever it happens to be. You know, maybe the four players is a lie. Maybe it's not. Maybe the trade interest is a lie. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But like they, they seem to be OK with where, the way things are right now. Last year, it was a given that it was going to be Trevor Lawrence 1 and Zach Wilson 2. The draft began at number 3 with the 49ers, who played the guessing game as long as they could up until the day of the draft. And I guess the one thing that disappoints me more than anything else as to the way Trent Baalke handled that question, there's an opportunity there to provide an answer that builds some mystery, some intrigue, some drama. And in a draft, it feels completely devoid of drama, although there's some. But when the drama is, how far will the quarterbacks fall? I don't know. That they, like, I don't know. I don't so know that that's the kind of drama we're looking Balky for. Didn't get, you are supposed to be the storyteller, Mike. We are the media. We make the hype. It's not Trent Balky's fault that he didn't create hype for us. That's our job. Sometimes they got to help us. Jeff Fisher was helping us six years ago. Jeff Fisher knew damn well he was taking Jared Goff, but he played a little game with it. Yeah, I know. I I was there. That's what I'm saying. Like, eh. Jeff Fisher once defended the bad calls by officials in NFL games during an appearance on PFT Live when he was the co-chair of the competition committee by saying, we kind of like it because it gives you things to talk about. And I'll never forget that because that's not the kind of thing you want us talking about. I like to have things to talk about, but if you're the NFL, you'd probably rather us talk about something else, like who's the first pick in the draft going to be. And to the Jaguars' credit, they haven't really tipped their hand. There's been some reporting that maybe they'll go offensive linemen. We assume it's going to be a defensive lineman, either Aiden Hutchinson or Walker from Georgia, but we don't know. We don't know, and we'll find out next Thursday night. But I don't know if anybody really cares. That's the thing. It's the Jaguars. <laughs> Who really cares? I'm sorry, Jaguars. You've earned that lack of interest. Nobody True. cares what you do. You've, you've, you've occupied <laughs> all of our thought that you're going to for the next century, thanks to Urban Meyer last year. We are, a, we are done with the Jaguars after last year. All right, we're done with this segment. When we return, trade rumor season, we're going to play a game of who says no when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about that where we're at. I've talked to um, AJ's uh, reps. Um, AJ knows how we how we feel about him, how you know uh, how much he means to this football team. And I, I haven't seen any 
you know, Instagram videos or Snapchats or um, Vimeos or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I think I've spoke on that um, several times now, so um, do not perceive that happening. Do not foresee is kind of halfway between no intention and no chance. Like, do not foresee. There's a lot of things I do not foresee happening that are going to happen. So I think Mike Vrabel is of the no way in hell mindset. I think John Robinson, the GM of the team, is in more of the, if you make me an offer I can't refuse, maybe I won't refuse it. Right. I mean, that's that makes sense. I think that that's the general manager's job is to field trade requests if they come and see if there is an offer that they shouldn't refuse. But, like, don't trade A.J. Brown. If he wants to be there, just pay him. Like, I th- that, that guy is a perfect fit for their offense. He's a great fit for Ryan Tannehill. They have chemistry. They just need somebody opposite him, which they maybe have in Robert Woods, provided that he's healthy. That, that dude is so good. Like, I, no, don't trade A.J. Brown if he doesn't want to be traded. It really is amazing to think two teammates at Mississippi, two of the top receivers in the NFL right now, the subject of trade rumors, do big contracts, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, same draft class, same school, same round, unbelievable. All right, so let's play Who Says No. If the Cardinals offered the 23rd overall pick and the 87th pick for A.J. Brown, do the Titans say yes or no to that? I mean, (laughs) I would say yes to that, actually. Um, I think... If, if I'm the Titans, yeah, I say yes. If Who I'm the says Cardinals, no? Which side says say, no? Yeah, if, I'm if the that's Cardinals, on the table, I might say no because I think that's I think that's a little rich for AJ Brown. You know, I mean, like I think AJ Brown is great, but I think when especially when you already have DeAndre Hopkins and you know they've got some receivers that have some upside. Uh, AJ Green is already back there. They they feel good about Rondale Moore. At least that's what Cliff Kingsbury said yesterday. So. I think they've got enough where they don't necessarily need an A.J. Brown, especially in the NFC, where you can compete in that uh, conference, especially as long as you don't you know, fall off at the end of the season. All right, let's move on to Debo Samuel. We started down this path last segment. The offer would be 10th overall pick and 38th overall pick from the Jets to the 49ers for Debo Samuel. Who says no to that, Jets, 49ers, or both? I, I think both. I mean, I I keep saying this, but on the 49ers, I don't want to give up Debo Samuel. To me, it doesn't matter, you know, if you offer me a first-round pick or not. But also, if I'm the Jets, I might have a little more concern about uh, Debo Samuel, especially when it comes to his health, right? We were talking about this the other day, Mike. It's not like Debo Samuel has been uh, the most productive player. It has that track record of production over multiple seasons, like somebody like a Tyreek Hill, like a Devontae Adams. So I don't know if I'm really going to go with like one of those higher first round picks for somebody like Debo Samuel, despite the fact that I think he's great and could be worth it, but I'm not sure if he is, if that makes sense. You know, Debo Samuel as a rookie didn't make a huge amount of noise. It was in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs where it was like, man, this may be the best guy on the field for the 49ers and and if they would have won the game, people were saying Jimmy G would be the MVP. I think Debo Samuel should have gotten some consideration. But then he missed nine games due to injury in 2020, where like everybody on the team was injured. But then last year he went off with that 
1,700 plus yards from scrimmage. First guy with 1,400 or more receiving yards and more than 300 rushing yards in the same year. 14 total touchdowns. And yeah, you're banking on him coming in and making that kind of impact for you right away. And it used to be if you would get a receiver from another team like that first year, I know Randy Moss changed the narrative a little bit with his first year in New England, not with his first year in Oakland, but you're asking a lot to bring a guy in and expect him to make a major impact right away. The good news is if he would go to the Jets, it's the same offense, but maybe if, 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 if his role is the problem, maybe he doesn't want to be with the Jets. If Michael LaFleur, the right. offensive coordinator there, is going to use him the same way Kyle Shanahan used him last year where he was running in between the tackles and getting the crap beat out of him. So I think that... I just think the 49ers need to keep him. I think they should say no to it, even though it's a first-round pick. You know, because you use those lottery tickets. We talked about this Wednesday. You use those lottery tickets to scratch him off and find a star player. And when you get the star player, you keep him. You don't get rid of him until you've had him for a while. They haven't gotten enough out of him to give up on him yet. So I think you say no to that because there's absolutely no guarantee. You get 10 and 38, you're going to scratch them into another Debo Samuel. I mean, in theory, right. you could get two Debo Samuels. You're probably more likely to get no Debo Samuels with those two picks. Well, you got to you got to trust your scouting staff. But yeah, I mean, but I, I I'd ask you this too. I mean, would you trade a, a first round pick for Debo Samuel based on what we know about him? I guess like, would you trade from one to ten? Let's, let's call it five to ten because nobody's going to trade the first five for him. Like five to ten, ten to twenty, or twenty to thirty-two. I would probably trade somewhere in 10 to 20, depending upon what receivers I already have. He's not like so dominant that you rip up your current receiving depth chart and say, we got a new sheriff in town and his name is Debo Samuel. You don't do that. Um, So I, I, and then you have, and then I want to know, what do I want? What, what is the, what is the player want by way of a contract? So yeah. let's let's continue the Debo Samuel thing going because the Chiefs have a potential proposal if it's okay. made. Who says no? 30th overall pick and 50th overall pick and a future first rounder for Debo Samuel. That's a lot to give up for That's Debo fun. Samuel, but you're giving up 30 at the bottom of the round, future first rounder which is probably bottom of the round and the 50th overall pick. That makes it a lot harder for the 49ers to say no. Yes, it does, especially with that extra first rounder in there, um, even if it is at the bottom of the first round because you have Patrick Mahomes. I mean, I if it were 30 and, and uh, 50, that to me makes a lot of sense for the Chiefs. But then you got to think about paying him. And if I'm the Chiefs, I almost kind of want to turn into like a wide receiver factory where we know because we have Patrick Mahomes – we can help guys elevate themselves and then they get paid elsewhere, right? And then we just continue to fill the factory with different guys because we believe in our coaching staff led by Andy Reid. We believe in Patrick Mahomes that they're going to get the most out of everybody. And we believe in our scouting staff that they're going to get guys that fit our system. So based on that, I got to say the Chiefs say no, but... I, I don't know. I mean, that if it is that 30 to 50 and then the extra one, if I'm Sam Fran, I, I might say yes to that. It's like the Steelers of the 90s back when you were not even in school yet. Linebacker factor. <laughs> Let him go in free agency. Yeah. We'll replace him with somebody else. And then or, that guy goes mm-hmm. to free agency and we'll replace him with somebody else. And we just keep churning. And when you've got Patrick Mahomes, you can do it. I kind of think the Chiefs want to prove they can do that. 
Because yeah. if you can do that, then you unlock the ability to avoid making that huge financial investment. And that's one of the reasons mm -hmm. they traded Tyreek Hill. So I do think that the Chiefs would have some hesitation on, number one, giving up that much. And I definitely think 30, 50 in a first rounder next year is more than the Chiefs would do. But then you got to pay Debo Samuel. And that's yes. where it becomes way too much. And that's the reality with these trades. you got to make the current team happy with the draft picks. And you got to make the player happy with the contract that the current team doesn't want to give to him, which is part of the problem for a lot of these guys that want to move on. Okay, we move on to the Browns. An offer of 44th overall pick, 99th overall pick, and Baker Mayfield for DK Metcalf. Who says no to that, Cleveland or Seattle? This is good because you would be the Cleveland GM in this scenario, making the best decision possible for your team. Oh, well, I mean, if I'm the Browns, I absolutely say yes to that. If I'm the Seahawks, I don't know that I do. I mean, I, you get Baker Mayfield out of it, but and that's good. But then you're giving up somebody who doesn't necessarily want out. I mean, DK Metcalf, of all these guys, wide receivers from that 2019 draft that we've been talking about, he's there. He's at the offseason program. And while he's not necessarily on the field because he's still rehabbing um, that foot after getting offseason surgery, he's there. So you haven't really had that indication that, like, he wants out. So if he doesn't want out, and I'm willing to pay him still because the quarterback situation is what it is, I don't know that I'm really that inclined to deal for Baker Mayfield and some draft picks just so we can, I don't know, get a ball rolling perhaps on a new rebuild there. Seattle would end up with the 40th, 41st, and 44th overall picks in the draft as they try to rebuild. And DK Metcalf doesn't fit with this notion of rebuilding. And if I'm DK Metcalf, I look at Geno Smith, Drew Locke, Jacob Eason, maybe Baker Mayfield, or whoever they would draft versus Deshaun Watson. I could warm up very quickly to the idea of playing for the Browns with Amari Cooper, with David Njoku, with those running backs, Nick Chubb, and... Why am I blanking? Kareem 27. Hunt. Kareem Hunt. Kareem Hunt. I knew the number, not the name. Kareem Hunt. I, I warm up to the idea of donning orange helmets and brown jerseys very quickly once yeah. I look at who my teammates would be. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. They, they say they don't want to trade him, but again, we're so close to the draft, there's no reason for anything to happen until the draft gets going. One more real quickly. How about straight up Panthers offer Sam Darnold for Jimmy Garoppolo? Who says no? Carolina or San Francisco or both? Uh, the 49ers hang up the phone before the name Darnold even gets out of the, the mouth of whoever represents the Panthers on that phone call. Yeah, the key is that his $18.8 million is fully guaranteed. Yep. And I think the 49ers, what they're doing is they're playing this game with with Jimmy Garoppolo where they're squatting on him as long as they can. They're banking on maybe an injury. And if push comes to shove right before the start of the season – they're going to cut him, and he's going to be out of luck, man without a country, no contract, no nothing. All the other depth charts are set, and that's why I think it's intriguing. He did a little mini media tour yesterday, and he agitated just enough. You know, I think my shoulder will be ready for training camp, but I'm not 100% sure. Last season, it was strange. I wouldn't wish that on anybody, i.e., I'm not interested in hanging around again. I think he would very much like them to cut him now. Trade him now or cut him now, whatever it is, do it now. And they're having a hard time finding a trade partner, and they're being stubborn 
they want to dig in and wait, and that doesn't mesh with Jimmy Garoppolo's objectives. Let's take a quick break. When we return, there's a guy who wants back into the NFL, even though he hasn't been around for a while. We'll tell you who and what we think about that possibility when PFTPM continues right after this. He wants back in after not playing in two consecutive NFL seasons. Earl Thomas, a member of the Legion of Boom, went to Baltimore for a season, didn't have a great year, and then got cut. There was a fight over guaranteed money. I never heard how that all turned out, but he did have a fully guaranteed salary in 2020. But he's been gone for a couple of years and got Shefty to tweet out the declaration that he wants back in. So everybody knows he wants back in. I... I look at it this way. It's not like people forgot that Earl Thomas existed. I think that anybody who would be remotely interested in finding a safety would at some point poke around Earl Thomas. That's how good he was back when he was at his best and say, do you want to play? Do you want to play? The fact that he's got to go out and shout this tells me that no one's interested. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you don't necessarily leak that like, oh my gosh, I want back in, I want back in unless nobody's really coming to knock down your door, right? And so there were some reported issues that Earl Thomas had um, with the Ravens in the locker room. And so that's why they didn't necessarily want him there any longer after there was, I guess, a training camp fight. And then uh, John Harbaugh goes to the leadership council. And apparently they say like, hey, man, we don't need this guy on our team. And so that's why there was the fight over the guaranteed money because they caught him over conduct detrimental to the team. So if you have a veteran safety who doesn't necessarily get along with others, right, like that's one of the things that people talk about with like leadership and all these different things with veteran guys, you know, you show the younger guys the way and, you know, you have the elder statesman and you can go up and ask them questions and all that. If if that guy's not going to play nice in the locker room, it kind of doesn't matter how good you are. If you're a safety in your thirties, they're going to find somebody who can probably play at a good level and it's not necessarily going to be that problem. So it's going to be interesting to see whether or not anybody's going to bite on Earl Thomas. I mean, obviously one of the great safeties of the last decade, but if, if nobody can really believe that he's going to be a great teammate, it might not necessarily be worth it. I had forgotten about that fight, the details yeah. of the fight, and it was a fascinating distinction because we say fully guaranteed. The reality is the salary is guaranteed for skill injury and cap and the Ravens specifically separated with Earl Thomas using language from the CBA that invokes personal conduct detrimental to the best interest of the team the argument is even if your contract is guaranteed for skill injury and cap we can cut you for personal conduct that is detrimental to the best interest of the team I don't know whatever happened with that grievance but it's a landmark type of a potential ruling that would give a team that's otherwise on the hook completely a path out. If it can prove, you gotta be able to prove it. It's one thing to say, we're cutting you for personal conduct detrimental to the best interest of the team. Then you got to prove it and you got to have the right paperwork in the file. It takes me back to the TO grievance from 2005 when the Eagles had a stack of paperwork, 18 inches high that they could back up why they did what they did to Terrell Owens. So there's a lot of lawyering that needs to be done in order to win something like that. But That was the issue. And like so many other things, the fight happens, we move on, and we like forget it ever even occurred. So I'm going to try to find out what happened with the Earl Thomas grievance. It'll be interesting to see. 
For me, at least. Maybe not for anybody else. All right, let's take a break. Let's take a break on that note. PFTPM Mailbag, when this Friday edition of the program continues right after this. All right, let's pop open the mailbag to wrap up this Friday edition of the program. Our good friend from across the pond, A-Red Zona UK, wants to know if Matt Rule, the Panthers head coach, is on the hot seat for 2022. I know what I think, Miles. Let's hear what you think. You worked for the Panthers before you came to work for us. You have insight, even though – was he the coach when you were working there? Yes. Well, I mean, okay. I was there very briefly, and it was a pandemic year. So let's not drum up the uh, – your talk up that much inside. I don't know how the, I have that much more than anybody else, but yeah, I mean, I think that rule should be on the hot seat, right? I mean, they've not really been very successful in a finding a franchise quarterback in B playing on the field in the first two years of his tenure. I mean, they got some really good stuff out of Robbie Anderson in that first year and he completely fell off last year. Some of that may have to do with the quarterbacking, whatever, but yeah, I mean, if this doesn't work out in year three where they show some real improvement um, for Matt Rule, I, I can absolutely see him jumping back to college before the end of the season, right? I mean, one of these premium college jobs is probably going to be open. And he was very, very successful at every single stop where he was um, at that level. Remember that weird report where Matt Rule supposedly said to the team, I could have had any of these college jobs but I chose to stay here yada yada it was just awkward and I thought David Tepper would react to that by firing him after the 2021 season but the reality is when you pay a guy nine million a year on like a five-year contract and he's got a buyout even a really rich person like David Tepper doesn't want to pay that guy to not work and I think that's one of the reasons why rule got another year but it makes for a difficult year number one they couldn't get the best possible offensive coordinator all due respect to Ben McAdoo. Number two, their quarterback situation continues to be a mess. Who's going to choose to walk into that? Now, I know Baker Mayfield may do it because he doesn't have any other options, but I think Matt Rule definitely is on the hot seat, and I'm surprised he wasn't fired after last season. Jay Griff, 1232, imagine if the Texans had brushed off the league and hired Josh McCown regardless of the Brian Flores lawsuit. What do you think the reaction and aftermath would have looked like? Let me try that one first. I don't know because they didn't do it. I'm just surprised Brian Flores didn't wait and let it play out because I think if he didn't file his lawsuit the day that he did, the Texans would have hired Josh McCown and would have made his case against the NFL and the Texans stronger. I still believe at some level Flores filed the day that Tom Brady announced his retirement to blow up Stephen Ross's opportunity to activate this plan to pursue Tom Brady as a minority owner and then front office executive and then maybe a player and then maybe Sean Payton. I feel like Brian Flores wanted to make sure the Dolphins knew that he knew what they were trying to do and he was blocking their move as quickly as he could because I think it was in the best interest of the lawsuit to wait because I think the Texans would have hired Josh McCown and it would have been a huge mess. I definitely think the, the Texans would have hired Josh McCown and, you know, We'll never know what really the reaction would have been, but I think everybody knows that he was was not qualified to have that job, right? There's no question about that because he'd never really been a coach at any level other than high school. And this is not just something where you step into it and you learn on the job and this is not that. 
it's an NFL head coaching job and there's a lot of responsibility that goes into that. So it's not like the NBA. It's not like managing in baseball. I think that there is a clear difference there. Um, but I, frankly, I, I think that by now we would have all been used to the idea of Josh McCown as a head coach. And then in maybe September when they start playing games and maybe if they go like 0 and 4, 0 and 5, then everybody would have been like, see, this is why you don't hire somebody who's never been a coach before. But on the other hand, if they went like four and one, it would have been like, oh my gosh, maybe the Texans do something that we all didn't. And we should have shut up about the whole Josh McCown wasn't qualified to be a head coach thing. And, and I remember when it was bubbling up and they were trying to set the stage for it to happen. People were indignant. They were, do, they were, they were doing this to me, Miles. They were indignant. <laughs> How dare you question his opportunity? Why shouldn't he have an opportunity to be a coach? Because there's only 32 of these jobs, and it's an insult to everyone out there who has the credentials, the experience, the knowledge. It's an insult to them, regardless of race, background, whatever. It is an insult to those people that someone who is completely and objectively unqualified gets one of 32 very rare and very desirable whistles. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I mean, there are coaches, like you said, regardless of race, whatever you want to talk about, that are supremely more qualified than Josh McCown, even though, and like, this is what people will say, well, he's been in the league for so many years. He's been different coaching staffs, different this, different that. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, that's, that's not coaching. Unless you've been a coach, you haven't been a coach. So that, yeah, I I, I agree with you on that. My, my, my point in response to that was, fine, why aren't the Saints hiring Drew Brees to be the head coach? Yeah. Why, 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 why isn't one of these other teams hiring Phillip Rivers, sight unseen? He coached high school last year. He'd mm-hmm. be great. Why isn't his name even coming up? It, it's, it's bizarre. And it's a reminder that even though the Texans have done a good job of convincing us they're moving past the dysfunction, there's still plenty of dysfunction gurgling around that franchise. Last one real quickly, speaking of the Texans, PFTPM Posse says if Deshaun Watson had any inclination to settle the 22 pending civil lawsuits, wouldn't he have done it before signing a $230 million fully guaranteed contract? Yeah, because now the price goes up. Look, the whole thing was a mess. And I think Tony Busby's antenna went up. He's the lawyer for the 22 plaintiffs. Last October, when they tried to settle the cases and realized, hey, he's trying to do this so he can get traded. And so it was never going to be easy. I think he should have done it before he became a member of the Browns. So Browns fans, the team, you don't have that extra distraction hanging around you. That was all the reason to get rid of it five weeks ago when they traded for him. But there was never going to be an easy way out of this. I think he needs to peel off some of those $230 million fully guaranteed dollars and, and make these cases go away out of respect to the Browns and their fan base, Miles. Yeah, I'm sure that that's probably the case, Mike. But it just whenever, whenever you're talking about something like this, it just I don't really know what the right solution is. But, hey, at least the Browns have their quarterback of the future. The right solution is bring everybody into a room, get a retired judge, get the hell out of here with that right now. Let me make my point. Bring everybody together and work out a settlement. Free copies of quarterback of the future to all of the plaintiffs. And we'll throw in playmakers too. Signed. Sold. Gone. 
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.